same China, different stories. We are the ones that found their way in a new life. Adopted babies, adopted babies from China. episode of ABC. Technically, this is like a deja vu episode, but still gonna be just as fun with Haley. I'll let you introduce yourself. Yeah. Um, hi, I'm Haley. Um, yeah, basic information about myself. I was adopted in 97. So assuming I was born in 96, I think the orphanage guesstimated my date to be in late October. So they gave me a date in um, October 19th, and that's the birthday that I'm given <laughs> by the orphanage. And I was adopted by a single, um, a single mother, a single white American mother, and she adopted me and my sister, who's also from China. She, um, she's four years younger than I am, and we're both from the same province. So we're both from Jiangxi, but I'm from a, like we're both from different villages. Me and her and our family of three, we grew up in Connecticut. I live, you know, I lived in Connecticut all through K through 12, you know, all those years until 18. And then I went to college in Ohio and now I'm doing my master's, my master's program in uh, Chicago. So I'm slowly moving west. Um, I don't know if I'll go any further west than <laughs> Chicago, but we'll see what happens. So I didn't, I forgot that you have a younger sister and you guys are from the same province, but not the same village. Yeah. Yeah. And plus like, we don't, we really don't look alike. Like our features are are not the same. She's younger than me, but she's larger than me. Like she will definitely be taller than me. And she, um, I have a friend who is from China, came to New York to study, and said that Jiangxi is one of the provinces that has a lot of adoptees. Apparently, mm-hmm. a lot of us come from there. Didn't know that until she told me. Probably because it's further south, and it's I guess it's closer to the border. It's a little sad. But <laughs> well, which border? Which border are they talking about? Are they talking about like? I don't know the history, but it was interesting. She said Jiangxi and the province that's directly to the right of there supposedly are two very big areas that a lot of adoptees, I guess a lot of babies were abandoned, I should say. Not yeah. just adoptees. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because not, not all of them got adopted, unfortunately. Because I've been reading, oh, what book is, it's called, um, it's like a book on, you know, Chinese, uh, the Chinese one-child policy, and it's called... Um, Oh, I wish I had it on me. It's like the hidden, the hidden children of China. I think that's what it's called. Oh yeah, yeah. I think I've heard of this one. And the author, the author is pretty much this white woman, but she adopted herself, but of, but she also teaches at a university, either in Canada or either in the USA. And she like went back to China and did so much research and talking to like birth families and first mothers. She was saying the circumstances of what it's like to be considered like a black child. And what I mean by that, and there's a, you know, a Chinese name for it, but it, in translation, it means black child in the sense that you're living in China without like a birth, without a birth certificate, without like citizenship. So you're pretty much like kind of in parallel to the USA, like, like a legal, like a legal legal person. So that would be the case for a lot of babies who um, weren't able to get their like their status as like a, an, an official Chinese uh, citizen. And so all of those children kind of, they go through schooling for as much as they can up to like middle school. And then once you get to high school, like you have to, you have to officially become 
a citizen, so it's hard to get an education as a child. And then oh, wow. they know, like those kids know, like they weren't wanted or they they weren't supposed to be born or they know that they have lower status than other people. So that's like also a difficult, like I can try to picture myself what that life would be like. Like, is it better to be in my home country not being considered a citizen or better to live in the USA and have a US citizenship? So like all the possibilities. I feel like I read a book that was also maybe it's the same one or a different one, but it was like China's Hidden Children, where it also went into the trafficking of babies too. So yeah, there were yeah, a lot. It talks okay, a lot so, about that. Okay, yeah. I think I, I think we probably read the same the same book. book. I, I think we did. Yeah. Okay, I couldn't. I was a little bit nervous to keep reading after that part because it's. I mean, it's pretty serious, but I did not know about that uh, later about basically, I guess, being an illegal immigrant in your own country. <laughs> sadly not even immigrant like they're just illegal children like illegal. not yeah not doc- like babies that were out of plan babies that weren't supposed to be born and so they're not seen as people in, in their own country I think we did read the same book and I just couldn't quite finish it <laughs> it's okay there's you know there's it, those books are used to be read over and over again like there's just so much mm-hmm. information in it that you can always go back and use it as a reference by Kay Ann Johnson when I picked up that book, because I essentially I was on going to take a trip to China, I was like, oh, it'd be good to have some books. So I checked out books from the library. One of them was this book, China's Hidden Children. And I think the context of it, I was thinking more was going to be more about our international adoption versus what was going on domestically. I think that's also why I was like, I can't finish this book because it's actually more depressing already than I thought. Like the whole international adoption has its moments, but then just what you were saying to be born in your own country and possibly trafficked or not being not having a citizenship officially like not be being considered like a person a because, you were, of your own, because yeah. you were out of plan because you you your existence is breaking the law like that's just deep book so highly recommended if you want the informative aspect of yeah all the details of uh, the chinese government in, the, in that because it's not even just it's not about adoptees really per yeah, se it's, it's it, it affects us. It affects us. But. It does. It sure does. Yeah. I was just thinking about all those children who were trafficked who their parents didn't want to abandon them, essentially, right? That's yeah, what really and- got me. I was like, oh, man, there's so many families out there who whose babies were taken away from them. Not. And, and it wasn't like... Right. They were, like, wrestling with, like, the government officials, like, no, let me, like like the physical fight of separation of like people coming in to like take your baby from you. Exactly. I, um, I sometimes question, I don't know my, I'm, I'm currently searching for my birth family, but mm-hmm. like, I'm not going out of my way to put up money to like pay for private investigators, pay for all the services. That, I see. Like the expenses that come with searching. I haven't, I did my DNA test. I guess that's the only thing that I did that is like, I'm paying for a service and that's the only thing I've done so far. But I was thinking about the research from this book and then the um, One Child Nation documentary from uh, Nanfu Wang. If you have more healthy babies in the orphanage, it's probably likely that your birth family is trying to eventually get you to have your your citizenship card or whatever but they're going they're going to put you in the orphanage temporarily and then take you out when they can and so sometimes I I get worried that I was the case that because I was on the healthier side compared to other babies who are malnourished and I wish I knew the answer of Mm -hmm. what was my situation what was my family's 
what were they thinking during that time? Every every situation I play out in my head, they're all shitty. <laughs> like they're all oh, yeah. Like well, if I if my parents did give me up, like they willingly and voluntarily did, that's that sucks. But also, if they didn't, that also mm-hmm. sucks. So like who am I? Yeah. Where is my anger at? Like who am? Who, yeah. <laughs> where am I supposed to put it at? Like am I supposed to direct it at my birth parents? Am I supposed to direct it at the Chinese government? Am I supposed to direct it at the orphanages and just the overall like? Mm-hmm. people that manage the or the children like so yeah. there's, a, there's definitely different avenues that people direct their anger and I think it shifts how long have you been I guess searching I would say yeah how long have you been no, searching not long I'd say probably since this past summer okay so half a year because I did the DNA test in March and April of 2020 and so using that information from the DNA test I'm I feel like I could use that kind of to search because you can take the raw the raw information and upload it to GenMatch and yeah. Gen and all the other DNA sites that you can just upload from my 23andMe. So, it's, yeah. I mean, also you're pursuing a master's degree, so I imagine it's a lot of work. Did you say exactly what your master's focus is? No, I didn't. I didn't introduce that. Um, I should have. Um, so I'm in Chicago and I'm getting a master of divinity, which MDiv for short. And um, pretty much it's what an MDiv does is it kind of prepares you to be a minister or some kind of care provider in the sense of like in a spiritual like care plus like taking faith or religion into account. Like it's separate than being like a general psychology counselor. A lot of, I feel like a lot of people who get MDivs, a lot of those people are either Christian or in one of the other Abrahamic faiths, so um, either Judaism or um, Islam, uh, a lot of people I see in seminary that get MDs are Christians, and I'm a Christian. If uh, I needed to explicitly state state that, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm in my second year of the MDiv program. It lasts if you do it full time and like you get all the courses done and you're like on on top of it. I guess I don't know if, if that's, uh, <laughs> that's I don't know if that's like rude to say, but usually the degree takes three years. But most people take a lot longer okay. to do it. Like, I know that mine will probably last four years. Just because I know my first year, I kind of dropped the ball on, like, a required course that was a prerequisite for other things. Oh, yeah, like yeah, yeah. But, like, it's no biggie. Like, I'm I'm not in a rush to finish quickly. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm doing okay. But that's lucky. That's, like, a financial privilege privilege that I have that I don't, I'm not in a rush to get it all mm-hmm. done. So I'm lucky with some of my financial reasons. Yeah, I think I've just been really... Because I'm really diving into the adoptee and adoption histories and understanding the industry as a whole and like really getting all that information now during my degree, like it's not conflicting with my dreams or hopes or pursuits of my master's program, but I always kind of thought that, um, well, well, here's what I'm doing as I'm applying my Christian faith to what, what is Christianity say about adoption like what mm-hmm. what kind of what kind of mes- messages are in there and not only did I read this book China's Hidden Children but I also read To Save the Children of Korea I believe which is another mm-hmm. book in that book it really talks about the origins of how international adoption started which kind of started in like the 1940s and I see. kind of like during World War II it of, of course it focuses on the history of uh, Korea specifically South Korea it talked about Holt International, which I don't know if you've heard of Holt. Holt yeah. is one of the big, one of the big adoption international adoption 
companies in the world. And Holt, um, what's his first name? Harry Holt, I think that's correct. But he uses his Christian values to to promote like the idea of why it's a good and altruistic thing to you know, do adoptions and stuff like that. So I've seen how Christianity Christianity has been co-opted or how it's been used to promote adoption, but it's it's really twisted and um, it's not. The more I dig into the Bible and the more I try to contemplate my life situation and how what my faith says about it, I don't think Jesus or my faith is going to like it will not support the separation of like children from families if it's like a if it's not something that like that needs to be done like I think I feel like my faith would say that it does want to have family pre preservation it wants you know whole and heal yeah. whole and healed families and I don't think it, it's it's supporting separating children that don't necessarily need to be separated from their families. But it also does talk about kinship and sort of how biblical families, some of them are, they are like families of God, like they're all part of God's family and they're not necessarily biologically related. But that idea of those people coming together and having a, having a family does not translate to the current like adoption industry that we have. Like they're just not the same thing. I see. <laughs> um, Thoughts that I have that are very un, not underdeveloped, but like they're super. I can do a lot more with going into all of that if I really apply my Christianity and mm -hmm. to um, the adoption world. But yeah, that's that's that, that that's some of my thoughts at the moment. So oh, yeah, I think yeah. you're definitely at the tip of the iceberg. They say because there's so much more underneath, and I. I know personally my view or what I've seen around you that some people have felt that the Christian faith has been a negative impact as well and not necessarily like a positive either mm -hmm. so it's, it kind of goes I guess it's really who your opinion and what your faith and connection is but I'm wondering growing up were you always connected with your faith I guess you grew up or raised Christian too yes yeah that's a good question yeah so I was raised in my church it's a congregational church in Connecticut and our denomination, I guess, yeah, this is the denomination I grew up in, and also I'm sticking with it. I'm pretty, I'm a, a big fan or a big supporter, I guess, of my denomination. It's uh, called the United Church of Christ, UCC, and I, they're, like, in the section of, like, liberal, progressive Christians, like, pro Black Lives mm -hmm. Matter, pro, like, LGBTQ community, pro, like, so many, I feel like it's, they're just not, um, they're very different compared to just the more conservative or evan like evangelical churches and also mm -hmm. nothing like the Catholic tradition or Catholicism. So it's like interesting to explain, I guess my denomination and other denominations that are similar to the UCC because I feel a lot of us are trying to make sure the world knows that we exist and to try to spread the message of that there is Christ there is a Christianity that is welcoming, that is actually affirming of people and like not harmful and not manipulative and not uh, hard and strict on its rules or what kind of restrictions that the religion puts on your life. Like, Cause I feel a lot of times growing up kids 
have like an averse reaction or they don't necessarily like their religious upbringings because the religion gives you so many rules to follow like oh you can't do this and can't do that and can't do these things etc but like my just my experience with my christianity is has nothing as and nothing like that i feel like even all the kids all the youth in church they know that they're a part of the church community because i think that's mm-hmm. also something to not debunk but that kids can realize that church is for them as too it's not just for the adults it's for it's for youth as well and if we have questions about God and if we have questions about certain things that happen in our religion, we can ask the questions. Like we, we won't get shunned for asking. We won't get scolded for questioning why we believe in what we believe in. And I, and I think that having kids and youth be involved in their church and they feel like they're welcomed and they're loved and they're a part of it, then that's like, that's the whole idea. Like that's like, if churches aren't doing that, they're missing the whole point. So. Yeah, isn't that the whole foundation of Christianity, honestly, even though there's many denominations? No. Right? I guess every religion, maybe, not just Christianity. Yeah, like, love. I feel like love is such a strong message mm-hmm. in every religion, and for for religions and denominations to do things that are harmful and that shame people for certain things, certain identities within their lives that shouldn't be shamed or shouldn't be looked down upon. Like those are the harmful things that turn people away from religion in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I should also say religion has been used in context of not just adoption, but like politics and everything else in life too. So I don't want to just limit that. When I was saying that earlier, I was like, oh, that sounds very limiting. No, no. Religion has been used in a negative context for politics and other policies and reasons. (laughs) Yeah. It's really fascinating though that you have connect stayed connected with your faith though and you're actually pursuing further education and then applying that. Do you know what you'd like to do after you finish your degree or when I guess you have time um, to think about that, of course. Yeah, like I am um, it's always it's like changing every month actually. <laughs> but um something that has always been a passion of mine is like racial justice ministry and just anti racism oh. work overall, whether it's I feel like it'll always be, for me, my work in that will always have a kind of spiritual, faith-based root. Because I feel like any kind of, any social issue, like gender, even the environment now and class and (laughs) all of the things, like those issues are so, they need to be worked on in our society. But for me to have strength to keep going headfirst into tackling these issues. I need something to carry me and I need something to reaffirm that what I'm doing, the, the justice work that I'm trying to do is worthwhile. It's worth all of the, all of the effort. And so whether I'm in like a not just a nonprofit for like anti-racism work or just a church related, like kind of like a ministry that I think I've always pictured myself going into ministry that is racial justice work where I go in and teach I like travel to several different churches within a region. So like the county of blank and blank in the state of (laughs) whatever, like I'm able to like travel to like several different groups and congregations and churches and kind of sit down with them and talk to them about how does white supremacy work within this (laughs) environment and how, how are, how are, how is each um, church working on, you know, fighting against that. And, um, 
yeah, that's kind of where I see myself going. And I now that even just all the adoption stuff, I even feel like I'm, I may be also applying my Christianity with the adoption world. And I think that mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that's not a lost cause, but I think it's important maybe that I try to integrate that because I see like you and other adoptees on Facebook pages and just so many of us on social media right now. And a lot of them, you know, they don't necessarily have to do advocacy for the adoption community, but a lot of the adoptees who are, are taking like the psychology routes. I think a lot of them are just going into counseling, which is great, but I don't, I hardly see anyone having a, anyone bringing, trying to bring in religion to trying to heal the triad, trying to understand the dynamics that we have between our like birth parents and also our adoptive parents and mm-hmm. kind of it's complex and it's hard and there's a lot of emotions that come with adoption but I want a lot of people when difficult things happen in life a lot of us do turn to faith and I feel like if oh yeah hone in or really focus in on the issues that we have and combine it with Christianity, I may really be, be able to benefit a lot of families that have like a Christian mm-hmm. within their family that all, also are dealing with the, the life events that come with um, adoption. I definitely agree with you. It begins with a conversation. So even having this conversation here and the one we had before, I still haven't really talked about religion so much related to adoption or in general, like as an open conversation since I was younger, maybe I talked more openly with like a friend of mine named Grace, who I actually interviewed earlier. I don't think she is as connected to her faith as much. So it's just fascinating that, I don't know, I think you're definitely right. People aren't really talking about faith and religion as much, or maybe that that could just be the exposure I have. I haven't seen a lot of conversations or heard. So yeah, that's that's why I was like, it's really exciting to be able to talk with you, take two, <laughs> and really open up that dialogue. And I feel like people would want to open up that dialogue with somebody like yeah. yourself. Who... And of course, it's only like, I wouldn't try to <laughs> impose, like that's like totally against like even my type, my sector, my right. section of Christianity. Like we're not coming in to like say, you have to believe this and that and that. And if you believe in Christianity, then your life will be completely better like no like I think my kind of work that I'm doing if families are already Mm -hmm. part of like if they already feel that Christ is important in their life and they already are in circles of like if they're already following the religion then I think my service or my wisdom and knowledge could be an asset to them right there's you know so many families that you know secular and agnostic families that just you know don't have any faith and where <laughs> I'm also like really trying to understand um how does my Christianity like I balance these two questions of I know that my denomination like we really value interfaith and we really value being connected to many of the other major religions and having a kind of a, a celebration with them and acceptance and also kind of a sharing like not just oh I'll tolerate these other religions it's not just there but even more so kind of bringing us together with other faiths and saying wow something in your religion is so powerful and so meaningful that we can acknowledge that maybe some other faiths have things that we're missing in our own and we can recognize Uh that we don't have all the right answers or Jesus isn't the only way to go to heaven (laughs) 
and that's another topic it's like mm. <laughs> me personally I'm like mm, hell heaven do I believe in either I don't know but that's oh, another question okay. for another. oh yes talking about adoptive families that don't have a root or a like they don't have a faith and I think like even being with families that don't have the faith is also fine to yeah. be with them be with them in that and be with them in the overall healing, because I, I feel like so many ministers, whether or not they're pastoring to people who, like, a lot of times people go to pastors to talk about some really hard stuff in their life, and the pastors can just sit there and listen and just say, yeah, I'm here for you, and I understand, like, like what you're going through is hard, and they don't even have to mention, they don't have to even mention anything from the Bible, and it may not even be necessary, but I think being present with people and sitting with them in their hardships that itself is doing the work of, mm-hmm. of religion without even having to explicitly talk about I see. All about the love and the comfort and the support of just humans being together yeah I don't want to go too off on a tangent and I don't want to start preaching on the podcast <laughs> well I mean that's that's what this is about is <laughs> connecting people together and I mean in a, in a sense it's like when we do a podcast we are preaching about whatever our topic is so I'm I'm not gonna say that I'm not doing the same thing either I mean it's not specific to like a faith or an advocacy of adoption I really don't think I'm in that line and there are people who are and that's wonderful I feel like I was thinking about this really closely the other day I was like man I I don't think I would want to really get into like advocacy for adoption per se there's a lot of people doing that and I'll just support them I'm just having yeah. fun talking to people and talking about their lives. That's really what it is. Yeah. So yeah, in a sense, I'm also preaching to the to the masses too, doing this. So don't feel guilty. I think we all we all do it, and we just want to act like it's. I want to say there's like a stigma when you say when when we hear preaching, and I don't yeah. think that's fair yeah. because we all, in a sense, do preach about something that we believe in. So. Mm-hmm take that stigma away <laughs> during this conversation for sure is your sister also pretty close are you guys very close does she also practice or um... no I think <laughs> unfortunately my sister and I aren't very close now so I'm 24 I'm 24 now and she's 20 as we both are going into our adulthood and kind of moving away from mm-hmm. I guess the child roles within our family because at this point it's like three adults it's like our mother but then right an adult and all three of us are adults now I think we're getting closer as time goes on but I feel like when she was in middle school and high school those you know there's the early childhood which is like zero to maybe age like seven or eight or maybe even ten like the young parts of childhood but then like the older parts of childhood from like teenager like even younger like 12 12 maybe 12 up till 18 so like that's like also childhood but the older half and I think for her when she was in her older half of her childhood her and I kind of kind of drifted apart and it's not just on her it's on me too like it's a two-way street I'm sure I I'm sure I kind of drifted off and didn't want to connect with her as much and um (laughs) and I think this is like a normal sibling thing you know how older siblings in general, when their younger sibling like comes around the corner and wants to play, I'm like, no, yeah, yeah. no way, bye. Like, I don't want you around. Like, I think that's like a normal. <laughs> I don't. It I is. think you said no. You have two brothers, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you have siblings, but yeah. So it's just like it's like a normal rivalry, and that's totally fine. Yeah. Um, 
my sister is also she's more spiritual like she mm. is interested in understanding like the world and god and but i wouldn't i think she has drifted apart from calling herself or aligning herself with christianity um, mm-hmm. she also grew up in the same church i did it's not like we had different church experiences but i think to define herself and for her to be considered who she is and because i was a child who really loved church who wanted to not be like her sister and so if i loved her she kind of has to not like church and like if that makes any sense yeah yeah yeah. with kind of children trying to define who they are without being like seen as oh well, you're Haley's sister so you must do this and that and that you know mm-hmm. all the, yeah those are the things that younger middle child and younger siblings have to deal with I guess oh, the yeah. oldest child which you know me and I'm sure other you know other people who are older the eldest child of the family they have a certain yeah, they have like a burden of trying to play like parent number three or parent number two to their their other siblings, but also they're given privileges that I guess middle child and younger siblings don't have either. You guys have the same divide that I do with my siblings, four years each. Mm, okay. I think that, I feel like four is that sweet spot where it's like just enough years apart that like you could either like really disconnect or connect again, who knows? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I share the same thing, too. I'm not very close to my siblings, either. And it is what it is. <laughs> I don't know where it's going with that, but it's just fascinating, because you guys obviously grew up in the same household and shaping differently. I think it's important that as we become adults, we're very different from what our parents might be, because we're all our own individuals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I've thought a lot about because <laughs> now I'm in my mid-20s at this point do mm-hmm. I consider 24 mid-20s so I'm like 24 yeah yeah I would 26 say. is like mid and then it's the time 20s and 30s is the time where everyone's thinking about children or, or families oh my gosh. you know all of the pressure that 20s people in their 20s and 30s have and even late teens and early 20s you know the people who are like right in those college years is like 18 to 22 I'll probably insert a break at some point in all this conversation like different parts of the USA there is maybe I'm not mm, this is whole like city versus country kind of thing and I'm definitely I grew up close pretty much close to the city but you know we both went to college in Ohio two different colleges of course yeah but my college town was rural it was country it was country town and that was the first experience I living four years in a more rural community which was a really good experience for me I, I learned a lot I didn't hate it. I think I, I still really enjoyed it a lot, actually. And um, But anyway, the the feeling that I had at my college, I feel like a lot of them felt the pressure of getting married and having kids right after college. Very soon. Oh, yeah. And a lot of my friends did. I feel like, I wouldn't say any of my, like, close friends, like, my close five to ten friends, none of them did. But, like, I know a handful, almost, like, <laughs> maybe 20 couples with kids now, like, of people that I know from my college all have, have started their families already. And when people think of the desire to have children, and I've really been, <laughs> really been interrogating all my friends. It's like, okay, do you want kids? And tell me why. Like, what are your reasons for wanting kids? Because adoptive parents, when they want kids, it's not like 
they can just go and well, a lot of times adoptive parents, whether or not they can, you know, have their own children, have their own biological children, children or not, they have to do some extra thinking on their part of their desire and their wants for having kids. Like they have to have a second reevaluation, not by like looking at themselves of, oh wow, like adopting is a long process. So you have to make sure you really want children. But also like the adoption agencies, like they give you examinations, they ask you like a handful of questions. I don't know what these questions are yet, but I know that they're examined by other people to determine if they're ready to be parents or if they're ready to be good parents. When you make that decision, whether to have your own biological children or to adopt, your life changes forever. It's like, are you okay with your life's purpose to be completely something that it wasn't before for your life to completely change from life without children and life with children? And not only are you going to love the baby years from ages zero through three or four toddler years, the, you know, those great years and all of all the stages of childhood. But then you also have kids who are going to be adult kids. <laughs> like, do people know, like, you have to commit to the rest of your lives to be parents for the rest of your lives? I, I don't know if I'm stepping into philosophy or stepping into, when I talk about these things, if it's like too complex or if it's too... <laughs> Or maybe Especially, it's not complex because people talk about children all the time. Yeah. It's, a, it's a normal topic people talk about. But. If nothing, I think a lot of what you've brought up is thought-provoking. Like it really makes you think about the idea of kids. And there was like a adoptee I talked to who's late 20s, like myself, I would say I'm late 20s at this point. <laughs> <laughs> and we got into the conversation too about just because we're adopted, is there like an obligation for us to have children, whether through adoption or having the baby in your tummy? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the technical yeah. term. Yeah. But it was also a thought of like, what if we can't even have children ourselves? But it almost was like, at least I felt this way for a bit of like, oh, because I was adopted, I feel like I'm obligated to then return this in the world. And like, I'm really, yeah, for my speaking of those like <sighs> crucial years of your like 20s and early 20s, late teens, early 20s, I had that thought in my mind of, well, I was adopted. It was a really good <laughs> thing right yeah I should I should also adopt at some point in my life or like have my own kid but I mean now seven eight years later I'm like you know it's it's okay I don't have to do any of that so is it more so in your head for yourself in your life you've decided that you just don't want to adopt or like you just don't want kids at all I'm just gonna kind of like I don't know if I really want kids yeah, me too. That's where I'm at. Yeah, I'm like, mm, I'm pretty okay with my life the way it is. And if I have kids, then the trajectory of my life will change forever. And I don't think I want that. Not yet. Not right exactly. I don't, and I don't want my life to change. I like how it is. Oh, yeah. And I think it's a, there's a whole other element of, yes, you can do single parenting. Of course, your, your mom did <laughs> that too. Like single parenting is an option. Oh, gosh. Like, that's oh. a lot of work, I bet. Like props to those single parents because that's a lot of work. Yeah. And there's single parents by choice. Of, you know, mm -hmm. yes. like my mom, single parents by choice. She adopted as a single mother. She never was previously ever married. But then there's families that are single parent, not by choice. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. So, which, of course, sucks as well. <laughs> now we're like going to territory of like marriage that's the other thing kids in marriage like well <laughs> you know but that occurred to me too and it also going back to this like talking about being adults like I guess there's a sense of my implication was there's a maturity that comes with growing up and becoming an adult but if I've also learned anything just because your age as you get older doesn't mean you mature too so just want to put that out there for everybody yeah 
just because we're getting older doesn't mean we're any wiser. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if adults who decide on never having kids, they have to, they have to fight their communities. Like they have to fight their parents. Like people will look at them oddly. It's like, oh my gosh, like look at this couple. Like they're, they're both in their forties and they don't have kids yet. What's wrong with them? And I, and I hate that. I really want our society to stop pressuring people to have kids if they just don't want kids. And you're not less of an adult and you're not less of a, of a, yeah, you're not less of a, a person if you don't have children like you can be your life can be great and grand and awesome and successful and all the things with or without kids so some development wise you know when we go into psychology and certain things that should be happening or for different stages of your life and I've heard that older parents like if you're a parent in your early or mid 30s and you're having your first child then you're a little bit more mature like you actually have a little bit more of a grasp on yourself and how you'll go about parenting versus I guess people who begin you know parenting at like very young you know late teens or early 20s like it's, I don't think they're as prepared and I know some of my friends because I know a handful of friends who have kids in their early 20s and they're gonna be like hey you bashing me I'm like well no not directly you I'm just talking about psychology overall being parents I've only heard it a couple times is the idea of being surrogate mothers and I feel like surrogacy is not, surrogacy is not talked a lot about hmm. in general, but also in the adoption world. Cause, oh, oh, <laughs> I get real pissed off when adoptive parents are like, oh yeah, your birth mother was like your surrogate mother for me. I'm like, oh no, shut the oh, like that is not how it works. But I yeah, slander. It's it's absolute slander to adoptees and, and birth mothers. Absolute slander. But also, what what is considered motherhood? Is it the idea of your genes being in another, making another person? Or is it the idea that, that those nine or six, you know, pregnancies aren't always nine months. We kind of hope they were, but of course, not, not everyone stays in the womb for that long. But is being considered a mother the person who carries? Or is it the person who raises? You know, our adoptive mothers are the and fathers, you know, our, our parents who raise us, are, is that considered a family? Like who's considered the real, real parents? And um, I think when I think about all those different categories of who is classified as true parents or true mothers, it really questions the idea of the nuclear family. Have you heard one, the nuclear family? Yeah. yeah. And I think it, the nuclear family is the idea of it. I'll like state it so people listening if they haven't heard of it, it's the idea of like what a perfect ideal family is supposed to look like. So mom, dad, one or two kids, a dog and a picket fence and a nice house, nuclear family. You know, it's, it's all wrapped up in, you know, white supremacy stuff and also just like uh, economics oh, yeah. and all the, all the privileges in the world, you know, all the things that you need to be a nuclear or the perfect family. And not all families shouldn't feel like, all people shouldn't feel like their family should look like a nuclear family in order to be a lovely or a good family like <laughs> it's like so many people are raised by like single parents and they like those kids turn out fine <laughs> like I don't oh yeah just adoptive everyone in the adoption triad in the adoption world like all of us have a, we all kind of feel a little bit of shame I think maybe not so much the adoptive parents maybe maybe they have pressures on them thinking 
that society looks down on them for adopting or mm-hmm. that their family is not considered a nuclear family because you know the parents weren't able to have their children biologically mm-hmm. um, and that's a bit of shame on you know adoptive parents have to go through their unfortunate. they have to before this is just general advice i feel for adoptive parents but like for some reason like infertility is a big reason for adoption but if the couple if the couple does not process that infertility and go through the counseling and the healing of what it means to go through that loss and then end up adopting their child and trying to have that adoptive child fill their needs for their infertility loss like that's gonna that's gonna put a big burden on that child Mm. um, now I feel like I'm 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 bouncing around with all these ideas. They're not circling back to what I really want us to talk about, but <laughs> the nuclear family. Yes, I'm talking about what families, who is considered mother, who is considered, mm-hmm. what, what is considered what is family, and is it you know our birth people that gave us our genes? Is it who carried us? Is it the people who raised us? And that's why I think all three of those can be like the people who gave me my genes, my adoptive mother who raised me. I can have several parents. I can have two sets of parents. I can have even three sets of parents. There's so many people that I can consider my family and the rest of society should as well because you shouldn't put it into boxes of, oh, they're not the true parent. They're not not real. They're not the real parent. Especially modern day, you have same-sex parents, same-sex couples, a lot of single parents. That was interesting you brought that up. I, I've always stood by, and maybe I think this definitely contributes to why I'm not necessarily like curious to do any birth search right now. I'm like a hundred, a thousand percent that my mother is the person who raised me despite like every conflict and we don't look alike genetically, but nah, this woman raised me. She's my mom. <laughs> <laughs> but now that you bring it up, I think there is a very small percentage I would say that probably does attribute to like your personality is your personality no matter what I don't think that's necessarily by your nurture I guess not, now we're like talking the about environment it. that you were yeah raising. like the nurture nature debate <laughs> that's really interesting yeah I think everybody probably has like a different view on that too and it's it's just good to hear these like perspectives it always gives like good insight that's why I love, love doing these so far. It's nice because like, um, yeah, you're going to be always, the 25th yeah. episode. Oh, sorry. Am I? You are. That's fun. That's a good number. It is a good um, number. Have you and your mom and your parents and family, like, have you had discussions with them about some of your questions about adoption and maybe your frustrations about your adoption? I feel like we haven't had too much of a discussion, honestly, like a very open one. Mm-hmm. Open up that avenue to possibly have a bigger discussion later on but because of everything as we all know in the world almost reaching a year by this point that happened it's I don't feel like it's like the right time to try and push that conversation but I had talked Mm -hmm. to people and it's I I admit I'm a little bit envious when I talk to other people it's like oh yeah I would talk to my mom or dad or my grandmother or whoever raised them really openly about like our adoption my adoption why they did it growing up and I was like I honestly don't think I had like a true honest like open conversation with my parents and I I don't think it's like a bad thing at all or a great thing um, because like I am family but I kind of would like that opportunity at some point to like open up that dialogue more and have it not have like stigma or any like negative feelings definitely having conversation about anything when it's like a negative interaction is the basis for it probably not going to go very well (laughs) 
So yeah, yeah we're going to hold on that. And I feel like when difficult conversations happen in general, if like it gets too tense or someone's getting, you know, really angry or someone's getting really sad, I think it's always good to like step away yeah. while we're in the moments of lots of emotions. So we're able to, because a lot of times what I'm learning in like my counseling and just being with, with other psychology professionals is when you're in the heated moments of whatever emotions you're feeling, it kind of locks you from cognitively thinking about what, right. you're, what you're trying to say, what the message you're trying to get across. And so that's why the whole thing of, oh, you may say something you regret. And yeah, that is true. Oh, you if, do. You're, if you're heated or if you're sobbing or if you're, you know, any of the, like the really, I guess, negative I feel like it's bad to call only happy is the positive and every other emotion is the negative. I feel like that's dumb to categorize them that way. But I guess in the frameworks of what we're talking about, I guess we'll just continue using that. But when you're in extreme negative, quote unquote, negative emotions, which yeah. I think they're valid. I think if you need to be angry, be angry. Like if you need to cry for hours, cry for hours. Like if you need to let out these emotions, you are definitely should. And you should, people, adoptees shouldn't hold in those emotions. And either and adoptive families also have like also the fear of well my child's going to be angry at me my child's not going to be happy with me and I think they just have to know that that's mm-hmm. they have to accept that that's also going to be the rea- reality as well and when you're in those emotions let them release them but then come back together and still have those hard conversations because you can't keep running or avoiding those conversations and yeah it, they'll be hard but it's good to eventually have them when you have time to wrestle and cope with all the all the feelings that come up have you have you been back to China or where you are adopted from? Do you want to go back at some point if you have not already? No, I have not. But um, my plan is to be there um, after COVID is over. Not maybe not directly after COVID is over, but I want to live in China for at least three months, maybe six months if I really want to. But like at least three months to do some kind Ooh. of not study I don't why do I do I want to keep paying for school I don't but like if I could like have like a small like job there like work there and Mm -hmm. make money and like use that money to like you know see the sights and to just go back to my home village and like do all the things there's this one program that I like so far that I saw in China about um being an au au pair or like a a a nanny oh like a live-in live-in nanny yeah yeah and um I just not that I'm sketched, but I just need to make sure whatever program I'm choosing, it'll be legit and it'll give me, like, it'll treat me fairly because I've heard of international people going to China and, like, doing the teaching English in China programs and oh, yeah. I'm not being treated great, like, just, like, being ripped off pretty much, like, just mm-hmm. not being treated well. And also, I've heard this interesting... um I saw this one man, I think he was also Asian or Chinese American, but he was from either the USA or Canada or from one of the Western countries. He he grew up there, but he's Chinese. And so he also like us, someone who is of Chinese descent, but like didn't grow up there, wanted to go back and experience what it was like in China. But everyone in his supervisors there like treated him like shit because he didn't look American enough or they didn't really believe he was American. So it was like discrimination against him because he looked Chinese. And so it's like, what the school he was at or the company he was at was like what we envision our English teacher we want them to be like white Americans I don't want to go through that experience where I'm like trying to teach English to kids and they don't treat me 
They don't treat me with respect because I'm not white. Like I grew up here. Like I know English. It's my first language. Well, one, I don't necessarily want to teach English. I feel like being a nanny to like kids and like that'd be easier for me or fine for me. But mm. I just have to figure out what kind of if I want to work in China, what through what ways do I want like how do I want to work in China? Mm. And you know, green card stuff and all the government stuff that I have to figure out while I'm there. It's it's a lot of hullabaloo, but um it is what it is. It's how our country's oh. right now. So. I thought there was uh, like mission trips and stuff. Would that be something? That... Yeah, um, I tried talking through some of my connections with my denomination and my religion yeah. stuff, and I haven't heard of a lot. Mm. Like, I haven't, no opportunities have popped, like, have come in my direction that I feel like I'm interested in enough to do mission work I also get like skewed out by mission trips as a whole okay in the sense that like I've done them in past when I was younger like early college and even high school I did a couple of mission trips here and there but I don't want them to be like I'm gonna come in and fix everything and I'm gonna be your savior and also when it comes to Christian mission trips it's like I'm not gonna go in and try to force conversion on anyone like that's not my thing so like I, I get skewed out by mission trips overall like the idea of what what organizations or what what are the motives behind these mission trips i see okay i'm glad i asked because i automatically assumed like that's what they are but i wasn't totally sure can be good they have to be well informed and culturally like informed of which whatever country you're going to and you need to do a lot of research before people do mission trips and it probably depends on the denomination that you go with too plus also china's still very what is it? I don't know if I don't keep I don't keep up with China and their current like government stuff, but I feel like they still ban like people missionaries. I think they kind of ban people of different faiths to come in and try to teach the faith. I think they ban because I know in their history they had a ban on religion, but I don't know if they still. Do. Mm. I feel like someone could like. <laughs> correct me like you know people can contact me later like yes yes this is still true or no it's not true anymore so or i can look it up on the internet because you know everything's available to me so everything's honest. available some stuff not reliable but <laughs> others are so <laughs> it's interesting you said that about the chinese american student because yeah. that seems oh. to be the majority i think i've heard that from a lot of people not just adoptees that that happens really Oh, you also heard people agreeing with that kind of situation. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a, that sentiment, that situation yeah, of it's like, a Chinese American person uh, going, or Chinese, I guess anywhere, like even somebody from like Europe who's Chinese descent going to China to teach. I yeah, guess someone who's anywhere Chinese, but grew up in a Western country and wanted to go back to China. Right. The whole thing with um, the global South and just this, like the Eastern, Eastern, um, countries that they they don't face racism like they we they don't have it in the same historical way that we do but they still have colorism they still understand I guess all of us being connected the whole world being connected through social media and what we can learn through um, the histories of what people see the stereotypes of what people have of different racial groups in general it still carries over into other countries that okay this is my example so i think i talked to you about when i studied abroad in india when i was in college in my junior year of college i spent a half year in india Mm -hmm. so it was me a couple of other like white girls from the usa and a couple of other um black students black girls from the usa 
and all of us were in India, same semester, we were hanging out together. And I just was seeing some of my black student friends, they were getting discriminated against um, by other Indians, like while they were there. And it was because they looked at them and go, oh, you're from a country in Africa, you're African. And no, that they would correct them like, no, I'm American. Like, I, I'm African-American, like, oh. And so they started to treat them better after the fact that they knew that they were American. What frustrates me about that situation is that countries who've never experienced or in, had historical interactions with other communities from other countries, like, I guess I'll be more blatant and more specific when, so there's anti-Blackness within, like, around the world, pretty much. A lot, like, African right. people of African descent are treated horribly, like, in any, anywhere you go around the world. And whether or not those countries have his, a history with interacting with, like, people of African descent, whether or not, but they know that Western countries like the USA and certain parts of Europe, like, they know that we have treated Black people horribly and inhumanely, but that's still, that message still translates over to countries are like, oh, well, if the, if the Americans are going to treat Black people poorly, then I guess we should too, because there must be something wrong with them. To conclude and to, like, end off this topic is that people of Chinese descent living in Western countries like Canada, USA, countries in the Europe, in, in the Europe continent, and go and go to China and try to teach English to Chinese students, they're accepting the belief that whiteness is the norm for, you know, England and the USA of like English speaking countries, that white is, is correlated, white is correlated to English. Mm. And that, yeah, it just frustra frustrates me that still other countries, the whole imperialist colonization and just the white, Whiteness has permeated throughout the world in, in ways that I wish it hasn't. It's interesting. I feel like it's very fitting that we're recording on Emma Martin Luther Emma King Jr. Day. Day. Yeah. yeah. I saw this post that apparently Martin Luther King and Anne Frank were born in the same year. Martin Luther King and Anne Frank? Mm hmm. Mm. Of course, passed, mm, I would say, murdered at different times. But yes, they would be the same age today. Who knows? Uh, I guess we could try to end on a more positive note. Well, that's my last question. We'll see if we can. Is there anything you would like to hear from other adoptees or other people that adoption has become a big part of their life? I don't know. I feel like there are some adoptees who, Like there's different stages of how to process adoption and um there are some adoptees who just live their life without really thinking about their adoption and mm -hmm. i i try to um respect that and try not to push people to dive deep if that's not something they want to do and but those who adoptees who have really thought about it and are really questioning their life mm -hmm. <laughs> i guess i want to ask them how do they um have that transformation and kind of allow it to change the life that they're living with their adoptive parents and their community. Like I want adoptees to have enough courage or enough support or enough will willpower. I want adoptees to not be afraid to question the environments that they're raised in to, and to really um, have those hard conversations with people that they need to have hard, hard conversations with. And maybe it's not a question, but it's more of like a 
encouragement for adoptees to, yeah. to do to do the work that will help them and heal them and to to be to feel more like themselves and to feel more fully fully actualized um, mm -hmm. fully themselves but I, yeah that's not a question but, <laughs> yeah, but I'll leave it at that it's <laughs> a good sentiment though I it's really good that you brought up that there are adoptees who don't identify as much with their adoption and they don't have to it's it's your own experience um, but I also thought too it's because uh, I, I always phrase that question but I always want to open it up for like it's not always just adoptees that people want to hear from necessarily oh, let me pack tracks I do think with this podcast and the whole idea of preaching it is like I'm not hearing from Chinese adoptees so let's make this happen because there are definitely resources for all types of adoptees, Asian adoptees, Korean, Indian, uh, Filipino, and like there's all types of adoptees everywhere. It just seemed like there wasn't one specifically for Chinese adoptees, but I also thought too, it's like, you know, part of this is hearing what other people think about those who have like adopted siblings or have close friends who are adopted. So that's kind of like the idea of this podcast eventually will I mean, part, part of it too is like, oh, I just want to talk to people in my life that knew me, know me very well <laughs> and mm -hmm. ask them like, so adoption, is that ever something that you thought about if it weren't for me? Because <laughs> it's all about me, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think my message to just adoptees overall, for those, for those adoptees who want to explore it more, I'm not going to say every single adoptee has to do this work because you don't have to you can exactly you're not if that's not where you are in your life and it doesn't interest you then that's okay too but for the adoptees that are interested and are trying to dig deeper and to really ask the hard questions do it because who's going to advocate for you if it's not you like who's going to right who's going like what kind of people are you bringing into your life that will listen to your story and listen to all the things that you need to express and all the hard like I'm gonna state it, I'm gonna say it but like adoption is trauma like for us for adoption to happen there needs to be a loss and a lot of people in society doesn't accept that we're hurting and that a wrong something a wrongdoing has happened to us and yeah we need to surround ourselves with people who are willing to support us and care for us and listen to what we have to say mm -hmm. say it say the damn thing just, just say it. yeah did you want to share your uh, Instagram or yeah I can my, my two basic um, social medias. So my Instagram is Hazy Huds. So that's H-A-Z-Y-H-U-D-S. So it's like a nickname for my first name and like the shortened version of my last name. And then uh, my Twitter is Miss Haley Hudler. So that's um, M-I-S-S-H-A-L-E-Y-H-U-D-L-E-R. Oh, perfect. Instagram and Twitter. I'll put that in the description too. Cool. And that's all my questions. This is this is great to be able to like talk to you again. Yeah. But yes, I always say goodbye for now because I'm sure I'll, I always like to keep up with people, see what they're doing, and insert a comment every so often in the internet world. <laughs> Thank you for listening to ABC. You can reach me at adoptedbabiesfromchina at gmail.com or adoptedbabiesfromchinapod on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you.